commencement and commencement services. To me, it all seems like a high pressure situation. You gotta get up and wear things that you don't typically wear and everyone's around with cameras. The person who's reading the names has to get all the names right. Where are you gonna be at next year? Can you remember everything that happened over the years leading up to this moment? It feels like we put a lot of pressure on commencement. I know we put a lot of pressure on commencement speakers. It's certainly a genre these days to, to bring in somebody who's notable, perhaps successful. And if you're a major university, sometimes they get paid more than my whole annual salary for this one speech. And I guess it matters because it's this one speech that we pretend is going to shape the lives of the young because they're going to be given the secrets to a happy life, the keys to unlock a world that will open up for them and help them be their very best version of themselves. At least that's how it appears when I go through the, the litany of annual commencement speeches that find themselves on the internet. I've heard those commencement addresses that say things like, you need to just follow your dreams. Don't let anyone tell you you can't do something. You go and you do it. And the inner Rocky in all of us is like, yeah. And then there's for the more spiritual, a little bit more mystical people who follow the thought of Joseph Campbell. And we hear things like, follow your bliss. Whatever is that thing on the inside that is made blissful in some pursuit, fix that thing, find that thing, and that thing will steer you along life's path and you will be happy. Or there's the version that says, you know what? Here's the truth that I'm gonna tell you. Not everyone here can do everything as long as they put their mind to it. That's a lie. I think that is a lie, by the way. Like some of you will never be able to dunk a basketball. And not all of you are going to be president of the United States. Roll up your sleeves and get to work. Do the work with your hands that no one's doing. And you might fall into this corner of the economy, this corner of society that no one else has found or no one else is taking up. And you may make loads of money and they may make a television show about you. Happiness is just around the corner. My favorite comes from Neil Gaiman, the author and graphic uh, novelist, who says this to the group of people listening. He says, make good art. I like that. I think it's good advice. I think it doesn't promise anything. And I think it's something worth doing in life. Because we're all creative, so make it good. Don't settle, but keep trying. Make good art. So what advice can I give the graduating class of 2023, their families, the wider congregation of Peachtree Christian Church, those listening, and anyone here who's, quite frankly, still able to remember their graduation? What can I say to you? Well, my mind, as noted, has been fixated on PBS legend Bob Ross. 
Each week we've been reflecting on a thing he said that's particularly interesting, and this week I thought about this quote that really does inspire, especially when you go to YouTube and you find this quote embedded in a song. He looks at the canvas, he looks at the camera, and just like Fred Rogers of PBS fame, he both, they both had this interest in looking right into the camera and imagining that they were speaking to one person. And Bob Ross looks at the camera, looks at the canvas, and he goes, this is your world. You're the creator. There is freedom on this canvas. Believe that you can do it because you can do it. Isn't that inspiring? It's inspiring to be told by somebody who's successful that you have agency and ability to dare to be creative because, let's be honest, so many of us are afraid to, to, to try new things or to read new books or to reach. So many of us have things that we've wanted to do that we put in the back burner because it's not important for my day-to-day -day life or I'll get to it another day. But here's someone saying, this is your world. You got freedom. Oh, and we love our, our bodies tingle when we hear the words that we have freedom. Oh, freedom. And believe that you can do it. It's inspiring. Perhaps you can take that home and make something of it today, and that would be enough for a commencement. But I happen to be a pastor, and I happen to be a theologian, and so I'm plagued and haunted by questions like this. What is freedom anyway? Have you ever stopped to ask yourself, what is freedom? You ought to know second nature because you are Americans living in America, the land of the free, the home of the brave, our whole experiment with all of its beauty and genius and accidents and ugliness and the whole gamut of our history is said to be birthed on the call for freedom. Freedom from what? Do we remember in our collective consciousness? Do we have textbook memory and history pulled up just to talk about? Or is it something that we still historically stand quite a bit away from? I think so. Let me remind you at least of what freedom means here in the most bland and broad sense. It means that it's the end of the ancient regime. And in French, I'm going to try to, I, I don't really want to say it in French because I can't never do French. I'm sorry to those French speakers here, but it's like, like ancien regime. And it sounds like you got a baguette in your back of your throat and you're choking on it. Forgive me. Forgive me. The ancient regime. What is that? Well, in the old days, there were kings and queens and monarchs and they had divine right to rule, you see. And you were born into your place. You might be a serf or you might be a noble person, a person of aristocracy. You might be a person who is given a closeness to the monarch. You might be far away from the monarch. But the reality is every relationship you have in your life is mediated through the monarch, even your relationship to God. It's very hierarchical. And what's more is when you're born into that society, whatever station you're in, you're in. That's kind of it. If you're noble, you're born noble, good for you. Someone somewhere at some point decided that you were of noble stock. But if you're a serf, you're a serf, and that's it. Sorry, you can't be promoted. And then there was the Revolutionary War here in America and the French Revolution. 
And then this kept building steam up until World War I, when almost all of it was toppled down, but in World War II was the final death blow to monarchies across the world, really. And quite frankly, what we saw then was a flattening. We saw a flattening of the ancient ways. People had more freedom. And here in America, what that meant was, if you have enough ingenuity, if you had enough intellect, if you had the right kinds of physical skills and abilities, and if you were at the right place in the right time and you had mother luck on your side, you might be able to rise up. You could be born the son of a cobbler. I told nine o'clock, I think the world would be better if we still had cobblers. For those who just graduated in 2023 and younger, they fix shoes. You could be born the son of a cobbler, but with enough energy and effort and innate talent and ability and right place at the right timeliness, you could become a lawyer or a doctor or who knows, even the president of this fair land. What else is to be said about freedom in our world? Maybe you understood that implicitly. Maybe you could explain that to somebody, but... I think most of us, when pressed, realize that freedom is buttressed by certain understanding of rights. We have certain rights. Some are in, said to be inalienable rights, and they are uh, things that we can stand on and hold to, and these rights protect me. They protect me for pursuing my life, and they protect me from harming your life. But the problem with rights is that, that they're endlessly contestable. And it never stops the argument. We could be talking about the right to your body, or we could be talking about the right to life, and we'll find new ways to argue that argument as if it hasn't already been kicked down the road a thousand times. We can keep arguing and arguing until now we're talking about does the fetus have a right to property, and does the right to property, equality, the right to life, and so on and so forth, and it goes on and on and on. Or if I could just take you away from something controversial for a moment and remind you that we just got through with a global pandemic, and our country really came hand to hand together over the decision to wear masks together and for everyone to be vaccinated together, right? No, because the thing is, as we said, it is my right to or not to. It is my right to or not to on both the fronts. And then some people would say, it's your right not to wear a mask. Well, it's my right not to get sick by you. And people argued and they hated each other, got mad and Twitter made everything louder and it just is contestable all the way down. Christianity isn't so interested in rights. It's interested in something that lays at the foundation of rights, that makes rights relevant, something more primal and primary to rights. Christianity is interested in virtue. So when we're asking about our rights, we would filter it through concepts like prudence. What is wise? What about hospitality? What does it mean when we're talking about the rights of immigration and also think about it through the lens of hospitality? Or here's one, love, the chiefest of all virtues. What would it mean to filter the rights of all of us through love? Oh, what is rights of, what is freedom all about? Can't just tell you to go be free from a commencement speech and expect you to walk away knowing exactly what to do. You might think of the market when you think of freedom. We, after all, have a 
concept of our economy that's called free market. And you can turn to certain theorists like Milton Freeman and find out what freedom means to free Freeman. Do you know what freedom means there? According to Friedman, freedom is simple, a lack of constraint. Pretty simple, straightforward definition. I can move freely when I don't have things constraining me. But is that the picture of freedom we see in the Holy Scriptures from the Old Testament to the New? Is that what we see in Jesus' own life? Is that what we see in the apostles? Is it what we see in the ancient church? Is it what we see the church calling us to? No. You see, in our world, freedom is about a lack of constraint, at least in the mind. I would argue never in practice. But Christianity is not interested in being free from so much as it's asking about what we're free for. Think about that for a quick second. Our faith is not so much about what you're free from, it's what you're free for, because According to people like St. Augustine, freedom is when a life is ordered toward the good, God. That is to say, when our lives are put in the trajectory of God, is shaped and molded by God, is put on the path of God. And if you can't hear that, listen carefully, molded, shaped, put on a path. All of those words are meant to imply some form of constraint some form of discipline, some form of direction. It's not simply freedom that means you can just wave around whatever. It is actually intentional. And the whole point is to come to the life giver and find your life in God. And only by that will you find true freedom. Only by that will you find true freedom. The contemporary writer and Navy SEAL and public speaker, Jocko Willink, says it this way, discipline equals freedom. Now he, I'm almost certain, has nothing of the gospel in mind here, but he's not wrong. If you're disciplined enough to wake up every day at four in the morning and exercise, you're going to have freedom of mobility in your body later on. If you're disciplined enough to save money, you're going to have the freedom to be able to spend more money later on and so on. Real freedom in life comes through discipline. If you ever note the great ballerina, the great ballerina buffets her body. She works hard every day. She watches her diet. She has control over her flexibility to take control of her body. She's mastered the skills and the arts and the moves so that when she's ready to perform, she is as free as a bird. Through discipline comes freedom. You try being hung over with a diet of fast food in your belly, having not done, touched your toes in a couple years. You try to go out and be free and go do a dance. Real freedom comes through discipline, and that finds its home so well in our scriptures. Proverbs, as it was read, and, and not enough of you giggled, so I'm not sure you were listening. Proverbs says, smart people, I'm translating, smart people take constructive criticism and direction, correction. People who don't like that are, and this is what it was said from over there, people who don't like that are stupid. Sometimes you got to love the Bible because it just gets at you, right, real quick, doesn't it? I remember someone telling me, when we read the Bible, we find the Bible reading us. Sometimes the Bible looks at us and says, hey, stupid, listen up. 
Fair enough scriptures. Fair enough. Or we can turn to St. Paul as we read in the Corinthian correspondence earlier. What does he say? Now here's a guy He's planted more churches than most people. He has moved the gospel all around the known world. He has written most of the New Testament. He more than anybody besides Jesus shaped the whole Western world. St. Paul is one of the most important people in our history. And he says, I haven't gotten there yet, guys. I'm still working on it. He says, I buffet my body. I beat up my body. It's this very athletic metaphor. I keep working so that I can continue to pursue the call that I've called, been called to. Discipline is the way to freedom. And when you get there, you'll find out what true freedom really is. It means being let loose to the creative depths of being itself. Even Bob Ross, who encourages the camera, this is your world, you're the creator, you have freedom in this canvas, believe that you can do it because you can do it. Even Bob Ross is teaching a method. He's teaching a discipline so that people can have fun painting at home. He has got the constraints of paint and a canvas. He can't do things that don't make sense there scientifically or physically. He's working with it. And the more you master it, the more free you are to move, the more free you are to express. But let's just cut to the chase. Our faith is founded upon Jesus Christ, God in flesh. Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Jesus, the Messiah or the Christ, the anointed one of God, the bringer of God's new ways into the world. Jesus, the great mirror and reflection of the divine to and for humanity. Jesus, fully human, fully God, takes on the fullness of human life to reveal more deeply what human life is meant for. Here's Jesus, full of freedom, knowing what lies ahead, and in freedom finds himself alone while his friends sleep as he just wants prayer because he's afraid. Your Savior was afraid for, for the, what he chose to do in freedom. Oh, and it wasn't just pain. Don't let people stop you with the notion of pain. It's not just the pain of crucifixion. It's the social estrangement of the crucifixion. It is the distancing and, and, and separation. It's the darkness. It's the bearing on of all the pain of all the inner torment of humanity, of the brokenness of the world. It's taking all this on. And so he prays to his father, can you make this pass for me? But your will be done, not my will be done. You see, Jesus was free because he practiced the discipline. This discipline put him ever close to the will and heart of God, and it made him live a certain way at a certain time for a purpose. And what's more is he not only found his vocation there, he describes the vocation of all humanity because in true freedom, 
In true freedom, he gets to hand his life over for the life of the world. He gets to make things right. He gets to build the bridge between a broken world and an unbroken creator. It is Jesus who gets to begin to repair us. The wounds of creation are open and he heals it with his own life. And in the words of St. Irenaeus of Lyon, whose teacher was Polycarp, whose teacher was St. John, we're talking two generations after, we hear that the glory of God is a human being fully alive. And Jesus makes us fully alive because he disciplined himself to the point of true freedom. He disciplined himself by following the path of his father so that no constraint would ever befall him, not even the constraint of death in the grave. Freedom. Freedom from decay. So, graduating class of 2023 and all you who are here, what can I tell you that would give your life some meaning? This is your world. God's given it to you. God the Creator has given you a chance to create with God. And you have freedom. And I believe that you can do it. I believe that by devoting your life to what is true freedom, not in lacking constraints of the wider world, but in constricting yourself to the pathway of God revealed in Jesus Christ. It is there that you will find a freedom that won't just bless your life, but it will bless the life of others around you.